Uh, welcome to the first Sunday of Advent. I'm excited about uh, this particular season and where it's going to take us. Uh, but I will say this, the last couple weeks, I've had both a really encouraging time, but also a very humbling time in the sense that um, I've been reminded of both the significance and the potential irrelevance of speaking on a given Sunday. Here's what I mean by that. I've had more conversations in the last two weeks about Harry's razors than <laughs> about any other thing, period. Like, it basically, the conversation's been, hey, how was Thanksgiving? How's that been for you? And then the individual, whoever I'm talking with, would be like, Harry's razors, am I right? Like, then we'd have this conversation about, again, the durability, the quality, the color of Harry's razors. I have heard from people in this community of how they shave their face with Harry's razors. I have talked to people about shaving their legs with Harry's razors, and definitely, obviously, the head with Harry's razors. And uh, if you were not here on that given Sunday about a couple weeks ago, I shared about my head shaving routine and uh, both the beauty and complexity of it. And um, it, it, it reminded me again about the power and the significance of story and metaphor and how you can talk about something as simple and goofy as Harry's razors, and it somehow connects to a much more significant and timely and important understanding related to the text or to who Jesus is. And um, So just as a reminder, because I think I don't want to just get lost in the story of Harry's razors, I want it to be tethered to something more significant. So... As a reminder, that was my illustration to say, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. And I know some of you are like, how does that connect? Don't worry about it. Um, uh, but it reminds me, Katie, who's sitting over there, Katie probably once every two months will remind me about a talk I gave nine years ago. And she will say, do you remember the salad? The salad. Wow, okay, the salad. See what I mean? The salad. Yeah, and if you weren't here for the salad, the beauty and the complexity and the diversity of the body of Christ and how each little component is needed. And so I'll be having just a random conversation about whatever with Katie, and then she'll go, oh, yep, that totally reminds me of the salad. And every several months I hear that about that again. Or... Just this uh, last month, had a couple opportunities, again, to talk about the significance of understanding the scriptures and the importance of the text, but as seen through the metaphor of rock climbing, right? And that some of the times um, we take the more intricate route up the wall and that there are very tiny handholds and places that, that are, are way more precise in studying the text. But then other times... Um, I think the scriptures just gives us big, fat handholds to use that give us a lot of ease to get to where we need to go to understand what God might be saying to us. But again, the point in me sharing all this at the beginning is we are going to try to connect Advent in these four weeks in preparation for the understanding and the unveiling of the incarnation of Jesus. We're going to try 
to connect that idea to Sabbath. So we are going to explore the themes of both Advent and Sabbath simultaneously. So for then, for those of you not as familiar with the themes of Advent, it's hope, peace, joy, and love. And we're going to try to connect hope, peace, joy, and love and intersect them with this idea of this morning ceasing. But the four words will be cease, rest, delight, and worship. And they will kind of connect us in a way with the text that I think will be super helpful. For those of you not familiar with the church calendar, today is the start of the liturgical calendar. And, uh, and Kevin's a big liturgy guy. I know you all know that. And so this is year B. He's been telling people over and over about year B. We are at the start of year B in the liturgical calendar. And uh, we are going to, this year, share that calendar as the primary means of our teaching for the entire year. So from Advent to Advent, we will follow as a community of the liturgical calendar as it relates to the teaching schedule. And uh, in many ways, we're doing this because I think it will tether us to the global church, right? To the church universal, and will allow us to understand both in practice but conceptually that when we look at the text we're looking at today, there are hundreds of churches in Spokane and in the eastern side of Washington that are in that same passage. And then there are churches throughout the world. And if you were to jump into some other service in some other location, they would be calling up this passage and they'd be walking us through the exact same thing. And so God might speak to us this year in a way that God is speaking to the global church and reminding us uh, that we are all connected. Uh, we'll obviously do that in Newcom style, so it's going to feel a little bit different uh, here and there. But the nice thing is that we will take the assigned texts and really spend time digging into them. Uh, today, our theme for Advent is hope. And as I mentioned, we're going to connect that to this idea of cease. Uh, one other little side note, um, I'm going to share a quote here in a moment, and the quote that goes up is going to have a picture with it. I realized recently that sometimes what I do is I just share a quote and then it has somebody's last name attached, and you have no context for maybe who that person is or what they look like or uh, anything about them. And so I felt like, just for today at least, to give you an understanding of who might be saying what they're saying. Uh, so Desmond Tutu states, Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. We understand hope to be so fundamental to our faith, and yet the word hope is used in a variety of contexts that can sometimes leave us quite confused. What I mean by that is we say things like, I hope you have a great day, or I hope it doesn't snow today, or something along those lines. And in doing so, we potentially take out some of the power and some of the significance of a word like hope. When it just means this may or may not happen, it loses some of its power. But hope can also be used to speak to an attitude of calling something into existence, of wanting it to be and to manifest. And so you speak about it in such a way, but we understand that that can also lead to disappointment because sometimes hope does not materialize in the way that we would wish. 
And so it might seem like blind optimism. I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. This was years ago. It was just my son and I at home by ourselves, um, just so this particular son remains anonymous. I won't tell you how many or what kids were with Shannon, but she was gone. She was somewhere else, and it was just my son and I, and I'm like, you know what? I know he's going to be getting a bath later. I'm going to give him a bath right now, just take care of it, and uh, get him all ready for the end of the day. It was going to be perfect, and so I get the water ready. I get him ready. It's all like tested the water. It's the perfect temperature. feel really good about it, so I put my son into the bathtub. Then I grab a towel and some soap, and I'm like ready to go, and all of a sudden I look, and the bathtub's yellow. And I'm like, I'm positive I put clear water in here, (laughs) and so something has gone awry. So I pull my son out, and I wrap him in a towel, and I stand there, and I'm like, just just look at what you did. No, I I said... (laughs) I just sat him there, and I drained the tub, and then I refilled the tub, and then I made sure the water was right, and I took the towel off, and I put him back in, I'm like, this is going to go great, and I start to scrub him up and start to rinse him off, and I go to reach for the towel, and I turn around, two little brown, brown floaters, right? And they're just, just sitting in the tub, and I'm like, you got to be kidding So I pull him out, and at this point, I'm just tempted to wet wipe his whole body and call it good. Just like, we're done. We don't need to mess. But I'm like, no, we're going to try to clean you right. So I get him there, and then I drain the tub, and I pull out the floaters that aren't floating anymore. And then, yeah, and then I kind of disinfect the tub a little bit and clean it. And then I put the water back in, and then I get, like, the whole thing again, right? Unwrap them put him back in, start to clean. I kid you not, one minute later, another floater. And I'm like, that is when hope disappeared, right? (laughs) So hope abounds, but then sometimes you're just like, forget it. I don't care if you ever get clean again in the rest of your life. Like, it's not going to happen. That's fine. So I just put his clothes on him and called it a day. And it was like, you're, you're good. So sometimes we have hope that endures. But I will say this, that many times people of faith, what they try to do, what we try to do, is we try to jump to hope. We try to jump really quick and move past everything to this belief and assurance that all will turn out good at the end of the day. And sometimes in doing so, we ignore the reality that life is hard, that there are moments that hearts break and disease happens and bodies fail, and justice is not served, it's denied instead, and hate exists, and bathtubs have floaters, because Advent kind of debunks this idea that all the things will turn out okay. Our passage for today reads this way, and it's Isaiah kind of speaking into that tension. I'm just going to read the first four verses. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood, 
and the fire causes water to boil. To make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. And the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. See, I think Advent is a yearly opportunity to shout our fears, our demands, our expectations, our hope into the heavens. To cry to God in the midst of frustration that's built up over the year and to release it all with a demand, so to speak, of God to come down, to be present, to arrive. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines hope like this, to cherish a desire with anticipation or to expect with confidence or trust. In the Bible, the Hebrew language has two good words for hope. The first one meaning to wait for. The second meaning to wait. But the second one carries a bit more of a feeling of tension and expectation, kind of like a waiting on the edge of your seat for something to happen. And I have, through the years, found it helpful to think of Advent waiting as a hope with expectation. And this is where I think uh, Advent and Sabbath connect, to wait for something. The word rested in Genesis 2 is where we get the word Sabbath. Sabbath means to stop or to cease. But it can also be translated to celebrate. The Jewish people for a long time have been practicing this art of Sabbath, of rest, of pausing, of ceasing, of happiness. And they realize and recognize it's something that you create. It's not just stopping sitting on your couch for the day. It's about cultivating an environment. It's about creating an atmosphere to enjoy life, to enjoy the world, to enjoy our God. Abraham Joshua Heschel says that the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. See, Sabbath, when practiced with intention, should look and feel a particular way. I heard it described like this, that the Sabbath is a day when God has my attention. It's a day when I'm fully available to family and friends. The Sabbath is a day that I do not have a to-do list. It's a day when I won't accomplish anything and I won't feel guilty about it. It's a day when my phone is off, my email's closed, and you can't get a hold of me. The Sabbath isn't a day to buy or sell, to get more. It's a day to enjoy what I already have, to cease, to wait, to pause. This idea of Advent and Sabbath are connected. And I want to give us two invitations today that I think really connect 
to these concepts. The first is this, to cease striving, to cease striving. The psalmist has some magnificent, magnificent words that speak in Psalm 46. It says this, come behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Cease striving and know that I am God. Cease striving comes from a Hebrew imperative verb meaning to sink down, to let drop, or to relax. Just think about that for a moment. To sink down, to let drop, to relax. Even if you just, for a second, just loosen your shoulders and then let them drop. It does something to you, right? Like you realize that even in that movement, there is relaxation implied. You let go of something. Now, most people, when they quote this particular verse, they quote it as this beautiful, reassuring, soothing, amazing little passage that's kind of like a sweet invitation to enjoy time with God. That is usually how I've always heard it quoted. Like, see striving and come sit down and grab a cup of a latte with Jesus. It'll be awesome. But here's the thing. It's actually more of a rebuke. So biblical scholars will suggest that it's either addressed to the nations that are attacking the people of Israel, or it's God rebuking the Hebrews for their lack of trust in him, and it's probably likely both. So I think God is a little bit disturbed by the idea that God's people have turned to warfare rather than trust, trying to figure it out on their own rather than to depend. So cease striving and know that I am God is this call to end the perpetual frenetic grind that many of us find ourselves in, to overcome difficulties that seem too daunting, to, to sink down, to relax, to let drop. And that is the call of Sabbath, and I, I actually think it might be the call of hope as well. And the reason I say that is when we get to the end of ourself, that might actually be the beginning of hope. We speak of hope as something that goes along with everything we do, and yet I do think when we get to the moment where we finally say to ourselves, look, I'm at the end of me, that's when a little extra measure of hope kicks in. Something else happens in that moment when I finally can go, this doesn't depend on me. This is a prayer for those who have ceased striving. Isaiah says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That has nothing to do with him and everything to do with God. It's an invitation for the Almighty to break in to our routine, to break into life and rescue, to 
shatter our perceptions, to upend our status quo, it, it requires a significant amount of trust because there's nothing I can do about it. To trust in the character and the faithfulness of God. And that is the way that I think we stop striving. I know for myself that when I'm striving, you can, it usually feels like me trying to hold on to something, trying to figure it out on my own, trying to like muscle my way through it. Somehow I can get there. If I just put a little bit more time, effort, energy, whatever it is, into it, then maybe we can get where we want to go. But it still requires me. And it still requires me holding on. And what this invitation is to cease striving is to let go, to relax, to drop it. Marva Don says this, the great benefit of Sabbath keeping is that we learn to let God take care of us. Not be, by becoming passive and lazy, but in the freedom of giving up our feeble attempts to be God in our own lives. Advent is a reminder that both hope and Sabbath require or demand trust. Trust begins by letting go. So this Advent, let us embody trust. The second invitation is to hope in God's present Advent. To hope in God's present Advent. Emily Towns says this, Hope means we have opened our eyes, hearts, minds, souls, very spirits, and now see and feel and touch and smell the joy and the agony living in the fractures of creation. That is the irony of hope, for in our yearning for it, we often walk far away from it as we try to come home to it. We often live into the small and narrow spaces of life that stunt our growth and demand far too little of us because far too little is expected from us or far too little gives us comfort. Hope is one more piece to the fabric of the universe, one more way to signal this restless journey we are on, one more sign that Emmaus is not the end of the journey, but its beginning. You see, I don't think hope is the end product on the assembly line of our lives. No, I think it is simply a part of the journey, part of the way in which we come to know God's way in our lives. So we are to hope in God's present advent. And advent, I think, plays with our sense of timing. Advent is, in many ways, reorienting ourselves to thinking about and living in time differently. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, in just a few weeks, we will be celebrating the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, the coming of the King, the God who tore the heavens and came down, but did so on a silent night, showing up in a stable, hanging out with some animals, only announcing the news to some shepherds on a hillside. Advent is a reminder that God has come in the past. But we also 
think of Advent as future-oriented, right? Where the final and coming kingdom arrives, where God in complete fullness allows us to experience all that is good, that we can do that in peace and love worldwide. And that preparation or readiness for God to enter the world, to return in glory, and that might even feel a little bit more like this apocalyptic, unbelievable experience. But that Advent is a reminder that God will come in the future. But as Emily Towns stated in her quote before, I think it is simply a part of the journey, part of the way in which we come to know God's way in our lives. And that hope needs an element that is not just past and not just future, but very much present. The Advent is really an anticipation of God's presence in the present, in the current moment. Rather than just being prepared for that eventual coming, rather than hoping and just being reminded of the past coming, and it's the assurance that ready or not, Jesus has come, is already present, is here. I think one of the central questions of Advent is, does God dwell in the ordinary in the same way he does the glorious? Or is God's hope present in the moment just like it will be in the future? Because the present is a moment not to be missed because it is filled with the divine. Advent is about living into that moment with expectation, with certainty, with hope. Not that Christ will just come again someday, but that Christ is always and perpetually arriving, always and perpetually here, not just in the glorious moments, but even in the most mundane. Nowen says it this way, active waiting means to be present fully to the moment in the conviction that something is happening where you are and that you want to be present to it. A waiting person is someone who is present to the moment, who believes that this moment is the moment. That the moment has expectancy. That the moment is full, not empty. It is alive, not something we're waiting for. Let me leave us with this quote. The liturgical year opens with Advent, the season that teaches us to wait for what is beyond the obvious. It trains us to see what is behind the apparent. Advent makes us look for God in all those places we have until now ignored. So may we be people who wait in the present for the coming and experience that coming in the now. Let's pray. God, it is so easy for us to think of hope as blind optimism or just a future-orientated kind of thing. It's also 
so easy for us to figure that the only hope we might have is if we just grit our teeth a little bit more and figure it out. And yet, in this passage in Isaiah, you remind us that it is you that rends the heavens and come down. And it no eye has seen or ear has heard or no one has perceived what you do for those who wait for you. So in waiting, may we cease striving. In waiting and anticipating your arrival, may we let go, relax, allow you to be the author, allow you to be the one that works in and through everything. And in the midst of that, may we not just see and hope and believe in what you will do, but may we catch glimpses over and over again in the present. May we be aware of your continual advent. May this season be one where we cease and depend on you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.